Let us worship God. Our first reading this morning comes from the first letter to the Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and we begin at verse 1. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, that in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with the Christ. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. from the third chapter of Ephesians. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of God's power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the wisdom of God in all of its rich variety 
might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that God has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you might remember that I was here once before, and as an intermittent preacher, you don't know how encouraging it is to be invited back. So um, thank you so much. And um, at the risk of sounding ecclesiastically partisan, I also just, um, I, I, I have special warm feelings when I uh, have opportunities to preach in a PCUSA church. Um, and you might remember from the last time I was here um, that it was the Presbyterian mission in Chinatown that advocated for my grandmother's release from Angel Island back in 1916. Um, and so I, I have, um, there's an, there is a personal indebtedness on my part towards uh, my PCUSA brothers and sisters uh, because if it wasn't for their advocacy, I wouldn't be here today. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your rich heritage um, here in San Francisco. You know, it's really helpful to be reminded that when, um, you know, when we read, like in this case, from 1 Corinthians and also from the letter to the Ephesians, that, that these were written by a real brother, um, in this case, um, imprisoned, uh, most likely in Rome, uh, you know, um, incarcerated by uh, the imperial authorities, um, writing to churches that he dearly loved, churches that he had um, a huge hand in, in their, their beginnings, their growth. These, these are young churches, you know, um, just maybe a few years, two or three years old. Um, and he cared deeply about them. He cared about how they were staying faithful to the gospel, the, the gospel that he had preached. And uh, especially when we think about the, the, the Ephesian church, and, and the other thing that I love about the book of Ephesians is that the, the, the city of Ephesus was very similar in a lot of ways to San Francisco. It was a port city, there was lots of commerce, um, there was all kinds of ways to indulge oneself in, in these cities, um, and there were lots of gods, you know, lots of alternatives to worshiping Jesus there, lots of competing interests, uh, lots of temptations. Um, <clears throat> So it's just really helpful to be reminded that, that um, these letters were written by a real person to real congregations in a real place and time, um, and that we can read these in light of, of how they could speak to us today. So my, my hope is that um, our, our little journey in, in, a, in a small section of Ephesians um, can have these echoes from, from the past that can really speak into our present, hopefully in, in rich and powerful ways. All right. So I want to begin with, um, with a question, with this question, which is, what's the church good for anyway? Now, some ask this question explicitly and others intuitively. Uh, but regardless, an increasing number have arrived at a conclusion of not much. Like the church isn't really good for much. Um, a large percentage of those would take it a step further. Not only is the church not good for much, it's actually done more harm than good. My kids, which is Generation Z, although one of them is close to millennial, but um, uh, my, my, Gen, my Gen Z kids are particularly attuned 
They're acutely aware of the American church's castigation of sexual minorities, the church's complicity with persistent racism, and the Christian white nationalism that was on full display in the nation's capital on January 6th last year, a violent invasion that took people's lives while culminating in a worship service. I remember I was reading City of God at the time, a book that St. Augustine wrote in defense of the Christians who were being blamed for the sacking of the Republic at the hands of the Visigoths. The parallels were striking. The only difference being that if Augustine were here in 2002, he may have had a hard time defending the Christians. And so Generation Z has left the building, the largest age group that comprised the so-called nuns or the unaffiliated. But they're most certainly not the only ones. Millennials, participation in church has declined, as has Gen X, and even the boomers. I have plenty of peers, those now in their 60s, who have decided to take a break from church on the basis of weariness, woundedness, or simply confusion. What's the point, more and more people are asking. Maybe some of you are asking this too. Now bear in mind that being a nun or a non-affiliated is not synonymous with backslidden or faithless. On the contrary, many who have left the church have done so because, because they believe in Christ and his call to discipleship and radical inclusivity, but fail to find company and inspiration in the present ecclesiastical forms and institutions. We here this morning have apparently come to a different conclusion, that is, that the church must be good for something, otherwise we wouldn't be here. I'm tempted to throw out this question to all of you. I'd love to hear your response to why you showed up this morning at church. Um, um, Week after week, month after month, year after year. Although I'm also aware of the growing trend among churchgoers uh, to attend intermittently, as in, say, every other week, or perhaps once a month. So maybe it's more appropriate to conclude that the to conclude that the fact that one comes to church at all must mean that one concludes that church is good for something. Now, there are many reasons. Um, uh, Let me just name a few. Church can be a good place for a little fellowship, a measured dose of of connection with other decent human beings. Or church can be good for a little good in the world, to dole out occasional acts of charity, to try to make the world a better place. Or perhaps more cynically, church is good for the alleviation of religious guilt. Going to church is what Christians are supposed to do, right? And so by Sunday noon, one can check off that box of the weekly to-do list. This may be why boomers are still the largest age group among post-pandemic churchgoers. We keep going because, after all, this is what we've always done. And as the saying goes, old habits die hard. So while, the, so while going to church for social, charitable, or religious reasons, and I'm not, I'm not saying, and by the way, I just loved your opening chant about just embracing the mystery, like something's happening here beyond what we can see, right? But, but even if we come for social, charitable, or religious reasons, it's not necessarily bad, but I want us to see that, that this morning that, that we can take our cues from the Apostle Paul from our Ephesian text today, who claims that there's something much bigger going on than our civic religiosity. In fact, Paul says something rather mind-blowing. He says that through the church, that's you and me, that's us right here, that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me, let me just say that again. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wow, what is that? Now, I want to get to the word manifold in a second, but for the moment, um, let's unpack who's, you know, who God's wisdom is actually being revealed to. Now, bear in mind that the Apostle Paul is shackled in a Roman imperial prison, captive to human authorities that report to the emperor. But Paul is not talking here about human rulers and authorities. He's talking about rulers and authorities, more literally archons and powers, in the heavenly places. In other words, Paul is talking about angels. Now, the the New Living Translation puts it this way, that God's purpose um, in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Or as the Phillips version paraphrases it, the purpose is is that all the angelic powers should now see the complex wisdom of God being played out through the church. And as the ever-creative late Eugene Peterson says in his classically colloquial way, he says, through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is being known and talked about even among the angels. And I would just add to that, especially the misguided ones. Because Paul later on in the sixth chapter um, asserts that, quote unquote, our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, and yes, those mysteriously heavenly places. You see, we see in Psalm 82, uh, one of many psalms that speak of God's judgment on social injustices in, this, in his world, whether that comes in the form of racism or sexism or any, any and all forms of abuse of power. Uh, God, in Psalm 82, says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Now, what's interesting is that I think when you read that in Psalm 82, you, would, you might immediately conclude that he's that he's speaking this, these words of, of judgment to, to the earthly, and have, uh, earthly rulers, the governors, you know, or the provincial uh, rulers of that day. But no, in Psalm 82, God is talking to angels. He is addressing his divine counsel in the midst of the gods, an assembly of spirit beings of whom he refers to as children of the Most High. He holds them responsible for the poor governance, a mismanagement of the nation, so to speak, allowing the sins of man to run free at the expense of orphans, the weak, and the needy. You are gods, he says, and you will, and you will die like mortals. In other words, they are not mortals. They are spirit beings, but they are corrupted spirit beings. And so God must hold them to account for how they allowed social injustice to reign on earth. They failed in their responsibility to rule with justice. Instead, God found them lacking in both knowledge or understanding, groping around futilely in the dark. Put another way, 
They lacked God's wisdom, and therefore they needed some schooling, some education. And this, brothers and sisters, is where you come in, where the church comes in, according to Ephesians 3.10. For it says, through the church, and I'll say it one more time, through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, in the cosmic battle between God and the powers, we are not passive actors sitting on the sidelines waiting to get to heaven. On the contrary, we are already in the heavenlies demonstrating to the powers God's beautifully complex and perfect wisdom. In other words, we, the church, get to school the powers. Now, what exactly are we schooling the powers in? Um, verse 10 speaks of the manifold wisdom. The word manifold means variegated or multicolored. Those of you familiar with the Joseph story in Genesis knows that, that he received an amazing technicolor coat, right, from his father Jacob, much to the chagrin of his jealous brothers. Joseph's coat was of manifold brilliance. Imagine a long flowing fabric made from an array of diverse pigmented threads woven together in elaborate, stunning complexity and complex patterns. And this is how Paul describes the wisdom of God. And what is this wisdom now being made known through the church? This letter of Ephesians describes this in no uncertain terms. And we didn't have time to go through the whole book of Ephesians, right? But if you were to read through the book of Ephesians, this mystery, this wisdom is God reconciling all things, Jews and Gentiles, and the whole of, of his creation unto himself. Think about the rich tapestry that results when people of all races and ethnicities, gifts and skills are woven together into one family. Such unity and diversity goes entirely against the grain of the prevailing order, which is all about powers and status and the survival of the fittest. It wasn't just about who you knew, but it was also whose family you were part of when you were part of the Roman Empire. It was true in Ephesus and it's true in Corinth. Paul was not naive and he knew that life in the new community, the new creation, was not something that comes easy. Given the pesky nature of our old selves, our sinful predilections, our, the works in progress that we always are this side of eternity. And this is why Paul had to remind them, as he reminds us today, that, that among us there are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, and varieties of activities, but there is one Lord and one spirit that orchestrates them all for the common good. We sang about this just a few moments ago. You see, as American Christians, I think we like diversity a lot more than unity. We like our individuality, our uniqueness, our personal agendas. We like our own sense of things to assert our rights, to make known our personal opinions, and to do all within our power to achieve our own ends. We like to say, you do you, because that implies that I can do me. Historic dominant American culture with its enlightenment-informed enlightenment emphasis on the individual isn't too keen on unity because it feels too much like uniformity, and nothing is more un-American than uniformity. 
The good news is that the gospel doesn't call us to uniformity, but neither does it call us to American-style personal freedom. Now, don't get me wrong. Societies and cultures and political systems can also err on the, si on the other side of the equation, that is, to repress the unique gifts, talents, and contributions unique to the individual. There is much beauty, for example, in American entrepreneurialism, the limitless creativity to try new things, explore better solutions, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is when freedom dis disintegrates, erodes the social fabric, and allows for the exercise of power among a few at the expense of the many. And this, regardless of social, political, or economic systems, has been and continues to be the bane of human existence since the fall. I think it was G.K. Chesterton that said that sin is the only Christian doctrine for which there is irrefutable evidence. The corollary to this from today's text is that there are angelic or demonic powers and principalities, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that lie behind our world's perpetual woes. No matter how hard we try, humankind cannot get out of its own way. And so, church, we have this amazing task of schooling the powers, of demonstrating to the powers that, the powers that be, that in Christ, another world is possible. But we have to lean in. Maybe it simply begins by remembering who we are, the family of God. Even that word, right? Remembering. Remembering. As Paul admonishes, the body does not um, consist of, 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 I mean, excuse me, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. So maybe leaning into your unity and diversity means leaning into your personal proclivities, taking, taking time to self-reflect on the liabilities you bring to this community. Let's be honest, we all bring a mixed bag of impulses to the table. In times of, and this is especially true in times of change and uncertainty, there's gonna be the temptation to cling on to the lesser impulses in our bag. And we are in such time, yes? There are great cultural shifts, geopolitical uncertainties, and an unraveling at a societal level. This is true in the ecclesial realm as well. There is much about the church as we've known it that is being interrogated, deconstructed, and necessarily so. And you, Seventh Ave Press, have also been in your own season of transition. Speaking of, I was really hoping to be at, at um, Pastor Jenna's installation service, uh, which I know it didn't take, I mean, it just took place fairly recently. I was uh, planning to go. I unfortunately was unable to attend, but just know that you are all in my prayers. It's been a real joy for me.
to get to know Pastor Jenna over this past year and a half, and I'm thrilled for all of you, her leadership as your new head pastor. But as is true for any and all congregations that are beginning new chapters, new adventures, there will be lots of work to do in working out your life together. How much of the old self should remain? What needs to change? What new ways of doing church are we being called to? What will be required of each of us to foster unity while embracing our div- your diversity in this body? How might I bring my thoughts and ideas to the table without insisting on them? What would it mean to practice vulnerability, to be, honest, to be honest about my fears of change, my fears of loosening my grip on the way things used to be? And how might we learn from the large, larger body of Christ, which incidentally is, is my work with New College Berkeley to set the table for, for different congregations and different bodies to come together and to learn from one another, to, 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 to wrestle with the gospel across culture and tradition and generation. So I am excited for you, and I'm excited for how we might partner together in the days to come. Um, we get to be the body of Christ together, and this is the amazing thing, right, is that in being the body of, of Christ together, we actually have this call and privilege to demonstrate to the powers, these angelic fallen beings, we get to, we, we get to have this cosmic um, impact as we seek um, our unity in the midst of diversity. So I would like to pray for you that this would be, that this would be so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have knit us together to be your family. We are your family, and that extends not just within the, the, the four walls of this church, but you you have called us to be family outside of these walls with other brothers and sisters, with other congregations, with other bodies of believers, together to be one family. And you have called us, you have called us to, um, to, to be that new creation where we can truly be one, even amidst um, having so much diversity, to be, to be different members of one body. Lord, I want to just pray this for 7th Avenue Press. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help um, this dear family to practice that, especially in this time of transition and um, as in this time of newness, the season of change. I pray, Lord, that more than ever, they will give themselves to the work of unity in the midst of their diversity. Lord, help them to bring their whole selves to to the building up of this body, Lord. Um, Help them to bring their unique gifts and talents and skills, but to do it in a way that submits to the common good, to the the health of the whole. Lord, show them how to do this in, in new and creative ways, we pray. And Lord, we thank you that in doing so, that we get to school the powers, we get to bear witness to your manifold wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this good work. May you carry out your good purposes in and through 7th Ave, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
How good it is and pleasant to live together as one. How good it is and pleasant to live together as one. How good it is and pleasant to live together as one. How good it is and pleasant to live together as one. How good it is and As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. i 
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in silence. You have fed us in music. You have fed us in bread and cup. And you have fed us in community. For all of this, we give our thanks and praise. Amen. Brothers and sisters of Seventh Ave Press, embrace your rich diversity represented around this room. Each one of you bring your whole selves, your gifts, your unique personalities, your great ideas, your beauty and your brokenness. Bring all of that fully to this body, but do so in a way that, that promotes the unity and the love and the service of the whole. And in so doing, through you, may the manifold wisdom of God be made known to the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. For the sake of our broken world and to the glory of Christ. Amen. May the love of God, the grace of the Christ, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you this day and forevermore. Amen.